We are going to step out of the book of Joshua for the Christmas season. We've been in Joshua all fall, and I've enjoyed it greatly. And we're going to step aside from that and pick back up soon after the new year. But I thought we should turn our attention toward the Gospels and their uh, explanation of the history of Jesus' birth this morning. So if you would, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. If you would please honor the reading of God's Word by standing with me as we read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Starting at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold... An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. And shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Please pray with me. Father, we seek to respond now to your word with study and meditation and we pray for your Holy Spirit to help us to understand it and help us to align our lives with the truth presented therein. And I pray that you would help me to serve these folks well this morning and to speak clearly. And I pray that your word would come through in all its power. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. I've told you this story before, probably last year around Christmas time. Um, I grew up in church. My mother took my brother and me to church every Sunday. We didn't miss it, um, including the holidays. And every year, it would come time for Christmas, and it would come time for the Christmas plays and the Christmas sermons. And my brother was just not into it. And he would gripe, and he would say, I've heard the story, he was probably, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years old. I've heard this story for 14 years. Every year, I know it. I don't need to go and hear it again. You don't watch a movie that many times in a row. Why do I have to go and hear this every year, over and over again? And he did, because mom made us go. I was a lot more compliant than he was. One of the main things I want us to get from this passage today is that the history of Jesus' birth is relevant for us today. It is very relevant for us to study 
the history of Jesus' birth today. It's important if you're a child, if you're a teenager, if you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, your 70s, your 80s, your 90s. If you're a parent, a grandparent, a great-grandparent, if you're single, married, the history of the birth of Jesus Christ is extremely relevant for all of us today for many reasons. Um, it's relevant to you in a billion different ways. I'm only going to discuss two of those this morning. I hope to be here for many years, and I'll preach through many Christmases, Lord willing, so I have to ration them out. can't do them all this morning. But we're going to talk about two ways that it's relevant for us. Now, obviously, the most important relevance is that this is the birth of our Savior, of Jesus. All of history is split in half. With Jesus. It all hinges on it. Everything in the Old Testament points to it. Everything since then hinges on it. That's obviously the most important factor that, that we're talking about here. But today I want to focus on, on two other aspects. Um, basically, it's just two points. It's a two point sermon this morning. The same power, this is point number one, the same power that was at work then. In Mary's life to bring about the first Christmas. That same power is at work now in you and around you. And it's at work probably in more intimate ways than you realize. And it connects us with that history. That's my first point. My second one is that in Mary we see a really, really great example of how we ought to be. I'm going to argue that Mary is actually a really good example of how we ought to be. So, that's where we're going today. I want you to think of your nativity scene. We have one out here in the lobby that's very nice. I don't know if you noticed it or not. And I bet many of you have one. Try to picture your nativity scene. Who's in there? Maybe you have a simple nativity scene. And it's Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. Just the three of them. Or maybe you have a little bit more of a deluxe model and it has some farm animals around. Or maybe some angels. Maybe some of you have even a more extensive one and it has shepherds. Wise men even. Is there anybody missing? Is there anybody missing from your nativity scene that, that is actually really, really important to the Christmas story, to the history of Jesus' birth? Let's read that first verse again. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. <clears throat> when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever noticed the Holy Spirit's involvement in Jesus' birth? It doesn't get talked about a whole lot. I'd like to focus on that a little bit this morning. The Holy Spirit is really important. In the history of Jesus' birth. He's so often just sort of cast aside. We, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit much. But he's God. He's part of the Trinity. I do not have time to unpack the whole idea of the Trinity this morning. But the Holy Spirit is part of our triune God. God is one. But he's one expressed in three persons. In God the Father. 
God the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. He's a third member of the Trinity. They're, they're all God. God is one, but they're not each other. It blows your mind if you start to try to, to, try to unravel it. But here he is in verse 18. A very important part of the story of Jesus. Now what did he do? Mary and Joseph, they were betrothed. We'll talk about this probably next week. That's like being engaged, only more serious. You had to actually go through divorce procedures to break a betrothal back then. Um, but it was about a year period before they would come together on their wedding night that they were committed to each other. It was during that period, but before they had come together physically as man and wife, and she was found to be pregnant. And it was the Holy Spirit that initiated the pregnancy with Jesus Christ. I'll read how it's described in Luke. You don't have to flip there. I want us to get the fact of this virgin pregnancy. I want us to try to wrap our minds around this a little bit. Luke describes it like this. The Holy Spirit, the angel is speaking to Mary and says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit came upon her. The power of the Most High overshadowed her. And by the Holy Spirit, she was found to be with child. Now, I've never been pregnant before. I hope to never be pregnant. But my wife has, and I asked her about it. And many of you have. I'm trying to figure out what does it feel like to have a human being growing inside you. And it's so bizarre. If you ever just sit and think about this, this thing that happens, it's so bizarre. But it seems as though you don't necessarily feel anything right at first. Like you don't hear sort of a pop sound and there must be a little tiny baby growing inside of me. You don't feel anything that tangible. And over time, you, I guess you start to feel a bit odd. You know, your, your physical cycle starts to get off. You start to maybe feel a little sick. And then more time goes by. You know, we have modern technology to help us detect pregnancy. But over time, Meredith has shared this with me more than once. The first thing you really feel that's, that's actually the baby, not just your body's response to the baby, is you feel this sort of flutter. And your first time around having a baby, you may not even realize that that's the little baby moving inside of you. And then it gets bigger and you start to feel more like kicks and punches and jabs and martial arts inside your body. <laughs> but at first you don't really feel a whole lot that's clearly a baby inside you. But when you're pregnant, a tiny human being is growing inside your body. I just can't, it's so bizarre. And as men, we cannot imagine what that feels like. But now Mary has a tiny human being growing inside her body. And this tiny being inside her body is God. Come in the flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. What must that have felt like? As bizarre as just regular pregnancy is, pregnancy with Jesus 
God in you, by, done by the Holy Spirit. What must that have felt like? I suspect that we might be able to, to relate to Mary's experience more than we think. And I'll tell you why. I want us to think about the Holy Spirit a little bit. Uh, the Holy Spirit does a lot of different things. He's very busy. I'm going to just focus on a couple. Let me read to you from John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one else can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Becoming a Christian is more than just adopting a set of moral codes and standards. It's a rebirth. It's being born again by the Holy Spirit. It's accomplished by the Holy Spirit. Just like he accomplished Mary's pregnancy with Christ, he accomplishes the new birth in us when we accept Christ. I want to read one more verse to you from 2 Corinthians. Paul writes, If anyone is in Christ, meaning if anyone is a, a Christian, He is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Becoming a Christian is this strange transition from one sort of being to another. It's a rebirth. It's becoming a new creature. As bizarre as it must have been for Mary to have Jesus growing inside of her. As intimate as that work was that the Holy Spirit brought about in her life, He works in those sort of intimate ways now too. If you're in here and you're a Christian, if you have experienced regeneration, new birth, the passing away of the old desires, an awakening to God for the first time, that's not something that you can bring about on your own. The Holy Spirit did that in you. The second thing that I want to highlight that he does is, there's lots of scriptures that I could turn to, but I'm just going to talk to you about it. He sanctifies us. Basically, he's the one that brings about the growth. When you become a Christian and you're a new baby, new creature in Christ, the growth that you experience over your life, the Holy Spirit brings that about. It's through the Holy Spirit that God performs his molding and sanctifying work in our hearts. The convicting of sin, 
leading us to truth, guiding our decisions, helping us to correct the sin in our lives. That's the Holy Spirit's ministry to us. The whole process of growing to be Christ-like, the whole Christian process, is brought about in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. My point in telling you all this is that He is at work in all of the most intimate, tangible aspects of our faith. It's the Holy Spirit working in us. All the fruits that you expect to begin to grow in as Christians, it's the Holy Spirit working those out in us. It's like Galatians 5.22 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It's Him that brings these things about. Galatians 5.22 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are about things that you can bring about. Love, the ability to seek someone else's good above your own. To not fear or use someone. Without the Holy Spirit... We're not loving people. We're using them. We're loving them for the benefit that that we receive. But through the Holy Spirit, we're transformed into this new creature that can love. Joy, being able to delight in God, the delightful one. We can't change our taste like that. The Holy Spirit has to do this work in our life. Peace, patience, the ability to stay tranquil inside, even in the midst of a circumstantial storm around us. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. To have any power over the addictions and bad habits that plague us. It's the Holy Spirit that brings about this fruit. And He does more. He's the one who inspired Scripture. He's the one who enables us to understand it. Anytime you've ever walked out of here with a bit of clarity about God's Word for your life, that wasn't me helping you. That was the Holy Spirit. Opening your eyes to Scripture. And for those of us who struggle and just can't seem to get anything out of it, we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to help us. He's our source for wisdom. He directs ministers where to go. If you read through Acts, I think He directed me to come here. Through all kinds of different conversations and scenarios, I think it was the Holy Spirit's leading that that guided me here to minister to you. And much more, my my point is that it's the Holy Spirit that is at work in your hearts in all these intimate and tangible ways. The same Holy Spirit that worked in Mary's life to bring about her pregnancy with Jesus Christ, the first Christmas, what we celebrate every year. And He wants to work in our lives. The same power that was at work then is at work now, and He wants to bring about this new life and this growth for you. And He can if we will respond like Mary did. Which brings me to my second point of why the Christmas story is so relevant for us. In Mary, we see a really wonderful example of how we ought to respond to God, how we ought to be. Picture your, your nativity scene again. Now, I want you to picture Mary. Mary is obviously there, unless one of your kids has taken her off of it. Mary is there. What does she look like? 
in your nativity scene, can you remember, have you ever looked at it? What does the little figurine look like? Does she look old, middle-aged, young? Does she look calm and confident? Or kind of scared? Can you remember what she looks like? Who was this woman? That of all people in the history of humanity, God chose Mary to bear her son, Jesus. Who was this woman that God chose? I'm going to tell you some of the externals, who she was. And then we're going to go a little deeper. Well, first off, obviously, obviously, she was a woman. She was a woman in a really patriarchal society. Which basically meant that she had very little power, very little say. She didn't have a very strong voice in the community, being a woman. She was basically at the mercy of her father. And once married her husband. She was from a small rural town called Nazareth. I couldn't find definitive facts on this, but I think it was probably anywhere between 100 and 1,000 in population. And it was a rural town. So being a woman from a rural town, she probably was not educated, probably was illiterate. It would have been unlikely that a woman from a small town like that would have been educated and literate. Probably inexperienced, probably hadn't you know, traveled the world, anything like that. She was peasant class. Nothing, nothing wealthy or remarkable about Mary. And we know that she was betrothed to be married to Joseph. Betrothal could start anywhere as young as 12 years old. So it's likely that Mary was 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. Somewhere in her teenage years. She was a young woman. Like some of the teens we have in our youth group. Which, side note, goes to prove the point that adolescence is a myth. Back on to the main topic here. A peasant class woman from a small town, young, inexperienced. On the face of it, there's nothing terribly interesting about Mary. There's nothing that would draw you to Mary and say, this is the one. This is who I would pick for God to send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. Mary, this teenage girl from Oakboro or wherever. But we have a little bit of information of who she was on the inside. And it's what's on the inside that counts, right? Sounds biblical enough, doesn't it? In Luke 138, we catch a little glimpse of Mary. This is right after the angel came to Mary and said, Okay, Mary, here I am, an angel. Don't be scared. I'm just coming to tell you that your entire life as you know it's about to change. You're about to become pregnant. You're going to become pregnant with the Son of God. Don't be scared. He's going to be the Savior of the world. And here's how she responds. And Mary said in uh, Luke 138, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. 
And the angel departed from her. She sees herself as the bond slave of the Lord. Basically, in her mind, she's just, she's God's. And she's totally submissive to God's will. May it be done to me as you said. I don't think, as readily as she answers here, that it would have mattered what the angel said. If God said, Mary, you're going to be turned into a dinosaur and you'll eat leaves for the rest of your life. She would have said, may it be done to me as you said. She seems to be very submissive to God. She sees herself as God's bond slave, God's servant. A little bit further on, we get another glimpse. After all this, she's really excited, and she writes a song or a poem here. In Luke chapter 1, we'll start at uh, verse 51. And she's singing or writing about God, and she says... He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. She's writing about what God did for her. And if you read the whole song, she's praising God because he has shown the the ones who seem powerful by earthly standards. And he's lifted up the humble. She says he scatters those who are proud in heart and lifted up this humble Mary, teenage girl from rural town. So she's submissive to God and she's humble. My question here, we just talked about the Holy Spirit and we're seeing what he's done in Mary's life. And I want us to get to wondering, well, what is keeping me from experiencing the powerful work that the Holy Spirit would do in my heart? And maybe it's because we're not very much like Mary here. I think the only thing that really could keep us from experiencing the powerful work that the Holy Spirit would do in our hearts is proud, obstinate, Lack of submission to God and lack of humility. The Christmas portrait, that nativity scene, the Christmas story is a portrait that's just painted with humility. The whole thing just drips with humility. God came, the eternal God of the universe, creator of everything, came in the form of a tiny baby in the womb of a teenager in a rural town. That's humility beyond any definition we can even conjure up for humility. And he picks Mary. It just, the humility drips from the pages as you read it. She was submissive to God. She obeyed. She aligned her life with what God's will was. She agreed. She submitted to it. She was humble as contrasted here with those who are proud in heart. Did you know that the Bible says very plainly that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble? I think it's these two characteristics that enabled her to be open to the Holy Spirit's work in her life. And so, as we meditate on this, And out there in the world, as we're tempted to 
spend our whole lives grasping for power and straining to ensure that our voice is heard, fighting for our rights, seeking empowerment any way we can get it, trying to jump to a higher class, or at least look as though we belong to a higher class than we do, trying to improve our position, our status. Let's let Christmas this year be a reminder that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, as 1 Corinthians one twenty seven explains. It's not necessarily the strong or the wise or the powerful or the vocal or the educated or the experienced or the wealthy the attractive or the charming or the influential. It's not necessarily these types of people that God wants to use and work in. It's the submissive and the humble, like Mary. So are you submissive and humble this Christmas? How do you respond to God's word? When it tells you you should let go of some things or embrace other things or change your way of thinking. How do you respond to it? Are you submissive and humble? Like Mary? Like Mary, like Christ. He was submissive and humble all the way to the cross. Now I bet that most of us, if an angel came down, we're on our way home, and an angel comes down in front of our car and we screech to a halt and we get out, And he says, don't be afraid. I've got this assignment for you. I'll bet that most of us would submit to that. I think it's fair to say that if an angel confronted you and told you you need to do something, that you would do it. You know, our true character really isn't revealed in those big things. It's really revealed in the mundane. Are we even submitting to the simple things of Scripture that we know? Or do we rationalize and justify our way out of it? How do you respond to the authorities that God's placed in your life? Your parents, your bosses, your coaches, your mentors? How do you respond to those authorities in your life? Are you humble and submissive? Excuse me. Are you obstinate? How about your spouses? Are you submitting to each other like Ephesians 5 says? I'm trying to drill you down on this because many of us are craving a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives this Christmas. And many of us are not going to taste it because we're not going to submit to His Word like Mary. We're just too proud. The Holy Spirit can do unimaginably great things in your lives. If we just let it. It can regenerate us, bring new life, new desires. It can mold our heart, our hearts into Christ-like hearts. You know, as we study Joshua, it's turned into more of a character study of God, how he's operated in history. The Gospels are kind of like that too. You know, when we study the history of Jesus' birth, we see how God moved at a certain point in history. And we see certain characteristics about him. 
That's one of the reasons why it's so relevant for us to keep coming back to. This is one of those moments in history where God really reached down and made himself clear. So this Christmas, I would love for my own heart and my own family and for this church, for us just to stop striving so hard after everything that we strive after. To pull up our chair and and look at that nativity scene and open our Bibles and try to be a little bit more like Mary. Ultimately, a little more like Christ. And experience the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit. That same power that was at work when Christ was born. I really pray that this Christmas will be life-changing for all of us. And I pray that the Holy Spirit's work would be evident in our church, in our hearts. I know some of us are approaching Christmas, supposedly this joyous holiday, and it just doesn't feel very joyful. That's the fruit of the Spirit. May we each experience the fruit of the Spirit this holiday season. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that that I've been faithful to it. I pray that anything that is not, that you would cancel out of all our memories. Um, I pray that the Holy Spirit would come down and work in tangible ways. Humble us, Lord. May this Christmas be full of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Full of love and joy and peace and patience kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control and faithfulness. All right, we'll give you all the glory for it because we cannot work those things out in our lives. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.